Hey, we're Phil and Meredith, and we're the pastors here at Cornerstone Church, and we are so glad that you are here with us today. It's our prayer that this message is an inspiration to you, that it builds you up, that it stirs your faith right now in your today, as well as in the days to come. We believe that God has great things for you. God bless you. I just believe that God is going to continue speaking to us as we keep leaning into this series that we have started. We have been in a series called Forever, talking about knowing our unchanging God, an unchanging God, an always faithful God, and always consistent, and always the same, always there, right where you need Him, kind of God. What a good God He is. And I've just been leaning in for me. Thank you, Alan. That's awesome. For me, I've been leaning into just what it means and meditating on the fact that we serve an unchanging God, on the fact that we serve a God who is always consistent and is always the same. I've been looking at that fact and I've been turning it and rotating it and thinking, what does it mean that he's unchanging when I think about it in this way? What does he mean that it's unchanging if I think about it in that way? And then I turn that around and I want to look at it from the other side and say, even when I look at him from this direction, he's still an unchanging God. And even when I look at him from this side, he's still an unchanging God. And when I look back at what he's done in my life, he's unchanging. And when I look forward to what he's going to do, he's still unchanging that he is the same God yesterday, today, and forever, that he is our unchanging God. And I've just been sitting on it and meditating on it and thinking on what it means because in my life, there's not much that really is unchanging. There's not much in my world that is not affected or not altered by something that is going on. Most of my life is continually under construction, continually changing, continually adapting, continually moving and adjusting. As the air here in the Midwest gets a little bit of cool in it, it reminds us that the seasons are continually changing. And I love that the seasons are continually changing. It's one of the things that I missed so much. If you are joining from a climate where the the air doesn't get cool and the seasons don't change, I am so sorry for you because there is something wonderful about the changing of our seasons that reminds us that God has placed us inside time, that reminds us that there is still things to be done and still things to give our attention to that are, that it's just continually being constructed and continually changing and moving. We have tiny little people going back to school, some of them not so tiny anymore, as everyone figures out how to adjust to their very changing school environment. We took Theo back to school shopping for the very first time this weekend. I guess it's not really back to school shopping if you've never been before. It's just to school shopping. So Theo went to school shopping for the very first time ever this weekend. We went and got all the little school supplies and he got little khaki pants and all kinds of new little stuff because he is starting preschool next week. And he is so thrilled. And I'm pretty thrilled for him, but it reminds me again that everything around me 
is changing because I look at him and I think, how are you possibly ready for school? How is this happening? Because everything around us is altering and changing and I look at myself and to myself I think, I pretty much look the same that I've looked for the last 10 years. And then I look at a photo from 10 years ago and I'm like, oh, I am changing a little bit every day. There are ev things around us that are always being altered and always being changed and always being adapted because we are in an environment of time. We are in an environment that is affected by all of the things that we walk through. And particularly in this year, we have stepped into places where things are continually being moved and changed and altered and adjusted. And we are constantly going through change and it's easy to lose sight of what what it means because if you would have told me last year that we would spend weeks, months of this year not meeting in any of our physical locations, I would have laughed at you and told you there's no way that we would ever not be meeting in our physical locations. Don't you know where we are? But then we addressed some new information and we found ourselves in a new environment and we found ourselves having to grow and growth in itself is a way of changing. So we really ought to be continually changing because we ought to be taking in new information and adapting to the new things that God is walking us through, but that requires us to constantly grow and change and adapt. And I knew that we had growing and changing and adapting to do because then I started hearing the church all across the states ask this question that made me say, oh, we have some growing to do. Because we started saying things along the lines of, but how can we be the church when we can't come together in our buildings? And I thought, is that what we think the church is? Coming together in our buildings? What do you think the church in China has been doing? What do you think churches that are under persecution right now all around the world have been doing? The pandemic meant nothing to them because they have not been allowed to meet in physical buildings and display themselves and proclaim themselves in the midst of the cultures that they live in. But for some reason, we acted like we didn't know how to be the church and we couldn't be the church anymore because we weren't allowed to come to our physical locations. And perhaps God was saying, you're in the midst of time and space and I need you to grow a little bit. And I need you to learn a little bit of something because you think that your two-hour time slot on a Sunday is what it means to be the church. And we learned that there was more in us than just coming to a physical building while it has value and while it's a meaningful part of what we do. It is not what it means to be the church, to show up in this building. And in the midst of it, we learned that while we are forever changing and we are constantly adapting and altering and growing and knowing new things, God is ever constant. He is ever the same. He is stable. He is dependable. He is the one that we lean on and run to. Our safe place, our shelter, our continually faithful God. And as we've leaned into this, I want us to understand some things that we didn't know about God before. As you, if you'll turn with me to Mark 1. Today we're going to learn into, lean into scripture and learn about 
part of God that I think is clearest when we see it and we read it in Mark 1. It's something that, that the characteristic of God and the attribute of God that's glimmered all throughout the Old Testament, and we see pictures of it and shadows of it of who is this part of God. But in Mark 1, I think it becomes so undeniably apparent to us. And we're going to keep learning about who God is so we can lean into him and find our stability in him in a new way. All right, Mark 1, starting in verse 9, says, At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my Son, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for your incredible people, your incredible church. God, we're so grateful for your word that reveals who you are to us. And we ask you today to help us see you more clearly. Help us see you in a new light and in a new way, God. Help us understand who you are so we can dwell in your presence, dwell in relationship with you, God. Find strength and security in you and declare you to a people. God, I know that you've spoken to me this week, so help me speak it today. And let everything that's of you, God, land in our lives and produce fruit for the days ahead. And let everything that's just me, God, be just forgotten and left in this space. In your mighty name, Jesus, amen. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It's the opening line to a very famous piece of literature. If you're watching online, you get points. If you can tell me what piece of literature right now, quick, go, winner, winner. You win nothing except for being the winner. But there are bonus points if you also remember that it was Charles Dickens in A Tale of Two Cities who said it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. It's an odd statement, and it seems very contradictory if you just take it at face value. It seems like he is saying two things that are in complete opposition to one another, and that he is starting off his classic tale with a statement that doesn't make any sense. But if you take a minute and dive into it a little bit deeper, you understand that he's not making a contradictory statement. He's making a holistic statement about just what kind of times it was. That at the same time, it was the worst of times. But still, there were parts of it that made it the best of times. That depending on what part of the time, what aspect of the time, where you were giving your attention, how you were interacting with the times he was referring to, it was either the best of times or the worst of times. And isn't it a thought that you relate to when you think about today? When you think about the year that we've had, that there are parts of it that you say, this has been the worst of times. But at the same time, there are other parts of it that you look at and you say, this has been the best time. I caught myself doing it a few months ago. I was talking to somebody and I was just saying, what a terrible year 2020 has been. 
and how it has been awful and I can't wait to be done with it and it is probably the worst year that I have ever experienced. And as I was ranting and going on and on about my terrible year to my friend, all of the sudden I looked down and I realized I was holding in my arms my brand new newborn son who was born in this year. And I thought, at the same time, it's been one of the best years that I've ever had because in the midst of this year is this son that I've brought into the world, that I've this brand new life that we've got to meet. So yeah, there have been a lot of really awful things in the midst of my year which have made it feel like the worst year but there are also some really great, amazing things that you can't get any better than a brand new kid that have made it the best year. And I hear the same thing when I'm talking to people, when I'm talking to couples who say, oh my gosh, both of us lost our jobs when the pandemic hit. And that was one of the worst things that we have ever gone through together as a couple, to lose both of our incomes at the same time. But at the same time, then we were uh, in lockdown at stay at home in quarantine and it was just the two of us and we couldn't go anywhere and we didn't have any work to get to and, and all of a sudden we had more meaningful time together than we have had in our entire marriage. I hear parents with teenage and adult kids talking about how everyone came home at the same time and they realized that they'd all had their own activities and all of their things that they were running to, but all of a the sudden they, they were sitting down for dinner together again and they were talking together again and they were learning and discovering things about who they were. So in the midst of this very confusing year, in the midst of a year that sent them all kinds of uncertainty and some of the hardest times that they had ever walked through, they at the the same time found that they were walking through it with the people who had been there but that they had forgotten to see all along and so then they said actually it's been kind of great for us talking to college students who jumped or young adults rather who jumped straight out of college and into a career and started walking in that path only to lose that job and say Actually, when I stopped running so fast and so hard in a direction that I had made up on my own, I started hearing God speak to me about where he wants for me to be, what he has for my life and the path that he's walking on. So yeah, it felt really awful to be at the beginning of my career and lose everything that I thought that I was setting myself up for. But at the same time, I feel such a different kind of peace now because I've found a way to walk into who he is and because I've found a way to walk in him. And we live out of faith that if you take it too quickly at face value, seems like it might be filled with a lot of contradictions. But it's not that they're contradictions. They're actually giving you a more holistic picture of just what it is. Just like you could say about your year, it is the best of times and it is the worst of times. It's not a contradictory statement. It's a more holistic statement about really all of the things that you've been walking through. In the same way, there are things about our faith and things about our God that we would say that sometimes we say, it seems like those things are contradictory. Like we say, he is a God of justice and he is a God of mercy. And if you don't dig deep enough into it, you think, is God confused about himself, about the kind of person that he is? But it's not a contradictory statement about God it's that we have to dig deeper to, to realize he's saying, no, I want to reveal to you a holistic picture about who I am. 
And we see one of those pictures here in Mark 1 because God starts revealing himself and we know about our God that we have a God who is three in one. And if you just take that statement at face value, you think, that contradicts itself. That doesn't make any kind of sense at all to say that we have a God who is three in one. Three in one is not good math. But God doesn't have to be bound to our restrictions. And he said, I'm not contradicting myself. I'm trying to give you a more holistic picture of exactly who it is that I am. I am a God who is not bound by what you comprehend as a physical person and being. I am a God who has three parts in one. I am a God who is three persons in one essence bound together in eternity. And I want to show you that. And all throughout the Old Testament, we see moments where he starts to demonstrate this triune God to us. And then here in Mark 1, we see a clear picture of our three-part God. And I want us to lean into it, and I want us to understand it, because just like we miss something when we jump past saying, oh, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times, and we just try and grab on to one of those things and move past it, we miss something about who God is revealing himself to be to us if we move on past this and say, I don't really understand that, and I don't really get it, so I'm just going to kind of try not to deal with it. If you really think about that, sometimes we do these things and we say things because we act like um, they sound really holy. Like, I just love God, so I don't need to understand. And it sounds like it's kind of holy, but really it's just lazy. It's just saying I can't be bothered to understand who he's trying to reveal himself to me to be. And we, we do the same thing in culture. You've probably heard people say things like, I don't see color. I just love people. Well, how offensive. Who God made me to be is part of who he made me to be on purpose. My skin tone and your skin tone are part of who God made you to be. And it is incredibly offensive for me to say, I don't understand that part of you and I've never had that experience that you've had. So I want you to know I'm just going to look past it. How offended would you be? I don't get that because people don't normally say that about white people, but I get phrases like, oh, we just think of you as one of the guys because I'm at tables sometimes where there aren't a lot of other women sitting at the table, and I think that's so offensive. God brought me here in a female body with a female voice to sit at this table to bring a female perspective. How offensive that you would try to minimize who God has made me to be, but then we turn around and we do it to God as well. Because he intentionally revealed himself to us as a three-part God, and then we want to look past it and say, I don't really get that, so I'm just going to move past it and say, God, I just love who you are. And he says, no, 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 I'm, I'm glad that you love me, but let's take a step back because there's something meaningful about the fact that I am Father God, Holy Spirit, and Jesus. There's something meaningful about the fact that I am this three-person God, and he makes it so plain in Mark 1, 9 through 11. This is where Jesus has come to be baptized, and John the Baptist baptizes, and we see Jesus, who is fully God, walking around on earth, also being fully man, and he goes under the water to be baptized. And so we see the physical Jesus there. 
Jesus who has been revealed to us in shadow all throughout the Old Testament and then who is revealing himself by fulfilling the scriptures as the Christ, revealing himself as fully God. We see later how Titus refers to him in in his scripture and he says, our great God and savior, Jesus Christ. Because there would be those who came and made an accusation that Jesus was not fully God that he took on characteristics of God, that maybe he was even a lesser God, or maybe he was just a really awesome superhuman. But, but they, Paul wants to make it clear when he's writing to Titus, he says, no, no, Jesus Christ, who is our Savior and our God, he is fully God. And what he does for us is he walks around in the present and shows himself to us and says, this is what it looks like for God to walk and dwell and be among you. And so we see Jesus in the water. And at the same time, we see the spirit descending on Jesus to empower him for the work ahead in the form of a dove. The spirit is revealed to us in many pictures and images throughout scripture. And one of those is the image of a dove. And so we see the Holy Spirit coming and descending. And one of the passages I want to, because the Holy Spirit often, of the three, the most questioned of, is he really God, is the Holy Spirit, right? It's kind of like, oh, is he secondary? Is he part of it? Where, where do we really put him? What do we do with the Holy Spirit? And I love, in, I don't love the story, but it's so clear. When we hear the story of Ananias and Sapphira, and they come and they bring an offering into the temple, and they say that it's everything they got for selling their house, when really it was just a portion of it. And when they confront them on it, they say, you lied to the Holy Spirit. You lied to God not to us, but to the Holy Spirit, to God. And make that clear distinction that when you came to us and lied to the Spirit, you lied to God himself because the Holy Spirit, again, isn't just a sub-portion. He is holy God. And so we see Jesus in the water. We see the Holy Spirit descending to empower him. And then we hear the voice of Father God coming out from heaven saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And it's the position we hear from God declaring out from heaven, declaring who Jesus is. It's the same Father God who declared in the beginning, let there be light out of the heavens and how powerful his words are. And we don't often really, it seems like we don't question much if Father God is truly God. We question whether or not Jesus is fully God, question whether the Holy Spirit is. But just in case you're looking for it, Philippians in its introduction makes it so clear that both God the Father and God Jesus are holy God. And we see this beautiful picture of the three of them all at one time in one scene in scripture, interacting together. Jesus being baptized to do the work ahead, the spirit descending on him to empower him for this moment and Father God declaring out of heaven the affirmation that this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And the three of them exist in this perfect unison. They exist in what is continually a community of spirit of the three of them in relationship with one another. One of the other places that we hear it and we see it is in the the book of John when John starts and he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. 
And that, that word that he refers to is Jesus. Jesus is the very word of God. And he says that, that the word was with God. And that word with in the original doesn't just mean with as in side by side, the way that you're sitting next to somebody right now, that they are next to each other. It's the word pros, which means that they were looking at one another, that they were turned in, that they shared the same air, that the essence of who they were is the same. Same. Not with somebody like you ride with somebody in the car, with somebody in the way that it means to be the very same essence. And so they exist in this eternal community together, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Holy God existing in perfect unity together. And it tells me that God wants us to see and wants us to understand that he has created us in his image. And when he has created us in his image, he hasn't created us in his image because he has five fingers well ten fingers and ten toes like you do and a nose and an ears and a mouth I don't know what he looks like because God is spirit he's not body what I know is that he has created us in his image to exist in community together in the way that he exists in community together he said it's not good for man to be alone because it's not good that I would be alone God continually exists in this perfect unity together and we see that in the unity he starts speaking to us about what it is that our community is supposed to look like. What it is that's supposed to happen in community. It's why it matters that we serve a three-in-one God, that he is three persons continually bound by the same essence of who he is and that is that there is diversity right there in the community of God. God says, if I was only one way, if I only had one side of me, if I only had one person in me, then you might get the impression that there was only one way to be or that there was a better or a hierarchy way to be and exist inside of my creation. But what I want you to know is that there intentionally is diversity created right inside of my, my community. And I I want to put you inside of communities that have diversity inside of them. I want to put you inside of communities that put you up against something that's not exactly like you, that expresses itself in a different way than you, that's formed in a different way than you. Because if we look at the community of God and say God needs diversity inside his community, it only reasons that we need diversity inside of our community. And that then in that diversity, God exists in a perfect unity. That these, this three-part God is eternally bound together in unity, not striving, not competing, not trying to lift oneself up or the other self down, not trying to run in one direction or in another direction, not trying to be separated, but trying to come together in this perfect unity. God exists bound together in the unity of who he is. Though he is three, he is bound together as one. We hear Jesus saying, I do only what I see the Father doing. I do only what I hear God telling me to do because I am so one with him. When he says he is the vine and we are the branches, stay connected because you are part of the center. You are part of the whole when you connect yourself to who God is. And so the Father, the Son, and the Spirit exist in perfect unity together. 
They work together and they operate in mutual submission to one another, which is, is a really interesting thing that we don't really understand because we work in a, in a way that wants to compete, that wants to put ourselves forward. But what we see here is that Jesus is the one working and operating. And when Jesus is the one working and operating, the Father and the Spirit show up to say, we're going to put everything in this direction. We're going to declare out of heaven that we're putting everything in the, in the realm of, the, of Jesus and of what he's doing. The Spirit is going to empower him and God is going to declare. At the beginning when God is creating, Father God decides to create and create a heavens and an earth and people to walk and animals to roam. And so the spirit starts to hover over and make way. They say, if God is creating, then everything is going to go in this direction. We're not going to try to put our own thing up. It's so contrary to how we would want to work. We would want to say, it's my turn to shine, and I need everyone to show me what's... It seems like... It seems like there's a lot going on right now, and instead of, of everything going in this direction, I want to pull everything back into my direction. I want everyone to know how great I am, but the way that God wants us to operate is to say, great, you have a task that needs done right now. Let's mutually work together and push all of the, all of the energy in that direction. Great, you have something God's spoken to you right now. Let's put all of the energy in that direction, and that's the picture that we see throughout Scripture, is whoever is, is in the action seat, in the highlight spot, of you th- if you think of it, as God's great play, the rest of the Godhead comes behind whichever one is taking lead and says, great, let's put all of our energy in that direction because we are mutually working together. And they are bound together in love. There is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they are bound together. The thing that binds them together is the essence of love that connects them, eternally connected, eternally bound together. It's what allows them to be mutually submissive to one another. It's what allows them to exist in perfect unity. It's what allows them to celebrate the diversity of who God is without having to declare their own trumpet in their own moments because it is love that fills in all of the space between. It is love that binds together the great mystery of who the Godhead is. When John says, when John says God is love, it's because love is the essence that connects and binds the three people of who the Trinity is together in his perfect love. It is what creates the community of God. It is what allows them to be a community together and to keep running and existing as a three-part God in one essence. And the Spirit of God carries that love in in the Godhead. And this is the beauty, not just that he exists in perfect unity together, not just that he is a diverse God, not just that he is mutually submissive to himself and bound together in love, but that when Father God sent Jesus into the earth, he sent him as an example to us. And then Jesus died and resurrected and returned to heaven and said, I'm sending you the spirit now because that will be better for you. That will be better, that the Spirit can come and be with you. And what the Spirit does is draws us into the community of God. 
Not just that God exists in perfect unity, but through that very love, we have access to be part of who God's kingdom is. We have access to be entered into the community of God. God says, this is what my community looks like. And it's not just that this is what we look like to sit up on a shelf and let you be in awe of it. This is what we look like so that you can come and be part of it as well. We have access to the very throne room of heaven through the love of God, through accepting the love that he has lavished on us, through accepting the love that he has poured out on us. He says, come and be part of my community. Come and be part of what I'm doing here. Come and be entered into perfect, eternal relationship with God because while here on earth, we are in a continually changing environment. While here on earth, we are continually affected by what's happening and by what's coming at us and what's moving and changing we are invited into the unchanging, eternal community of God, welcomed in by his love, welcomed into his presence. And God says, you want to be part of this community of God. I've demonstrated for you what it means to live in community. I've demonstrated for you what it means to be an all-powerful triune God. But now I don't want to just demonstrate it for you. I want to invite you to enter into this place. And the word says that we abide in him and he abides in us that he welcomes us in. It's part of the great mystery that when we welcome God in, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us and abides in us. And now as he abides in us, we abide as well in that eternal community with God, that we step into that very place that he has called us to be, that he has always intended us to be, access to it through that connection, access to be part of the, the, the kingdom and the family of God through the essence of his love, through the connection of his love and of his commitment to us. He says, it's not enough for me to sit here on my own. I want you to come in and to be part of it as well. We're believing that that word will bring strength and hope into your life. Absolutely. If God just spoke to you through this message and you're stirred right now to partner with us and to sow financially into the ministry that is Cornerstone Church, I want to encourage you to jump on over to our website, which is simply cornerstone.church and click the give button. Find the avenue that is most convenient for you today. That's right. We are going to continue spreading the message of the gospel and we look forward to continuing to connect together.